everybody and welcome to another episode of Ace Comicals. Today we are joined by our guest Katie Cunningham. Hi, um, it is very nice to be here. Thank you. Yes, hello. And uh, yeah, uh, welcome and thanks for joining us Ace Comicals. So in the previous episode that we did, we reviewed Katie's book, which was Rotten Under the Snow, which is the... Um, I want to say it's kind of like a horror war story with flashes of cosmic horror set during um the siege of leningrad so i think you did an excellent job there of summing up all of the disparate elements of this comic there's a lot going on and by the way thank you very much for the kind review you gave um last time i listened to it and um it was it was very um flattering thank you it fully deserves a kind review uh, it is a great book so yeah i was going to say to you that it actually deserves all the praise it gets oh, um, thank you. which is why it's which is why it's nice to have you on here talking about it now and actually get like a little bit more sort of like um bonus content i suppose about where this <laughs> came from and everything else so um yeah so is there anything uh film tv comics wise that you're enjoying right now that kind of informs you as a writer because you're the writer on this so there's there's like um we wanted to get the whole team on the whole creative team, but unfortunately, um, some of the Angels other guys and yeah. stuff conspire. It's really difficult when I mean, you know, we're all over the place yeah. because that is yeah. how things are. But um, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and, and unfortunately, some of the other guys couldn't make it for various reasons. So, uh, but we have got Katie, which is good. So um, I would, uh, yeah. So anything that's inspired, anything to film, TV, comics, books, anything you're reading right now that kind of. Yeah, uh, I mean. You? You know, I'm I'm a big horror fan. Um, honestly, it's difficult because you know, with the writing process and art and everything, when I, you know, I, I was consuming different stuff when I when I was like writing Rotten Under the Snow. But um, I think a lot of it sort of comes. I'm I'm a really big fan of, um, despite not being able to say his name, um, Mike Magnola, and you can sort of see a lot of that in like you know the you know I I think I don't know if this is something we talked about, but me and Mike, the artist, um, sort of. That you can see a lot of the heavy inking and stuff that's going on there. I, I I think he did a really good job of like bringing that horror element to it. Um, and also I I'm sort of a fan of older horror movies. I like the the sort of surrealness of them and the way that sort of things can shift, you know, between like you know dreams and reality and genres. Um, so a lot of that sort of is there too. Um, in terms of yeah, I mean. Obviously, you know, I, I, I'm speaking sort of for everybody here and I don't know exactly what Mike was thinking or what Danny was thinking or what Aaron was thinking. But yeah. I feel like we were all sort of pulling from a from the similar sort of like retro horror pulp box, I guess. It, it yeah. feels like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I can actually I didn't actually think about it that way before. But now I think about it now. You've you've said um, Mike Mignola, I I can't like so so when I go back and think about the the comic itself actually and when I'm because I'm looking through it again on uh, the digital version that I've got um and I can actually see the hellboyness kind of seeping out of it like even in its yeah. its pulpy kind mm. of um this pulpy world war 2 world this kind mm. of like um you know like the nazi technology stuff and whatever that hellboy is known for with some of the story arcs and the artwork with the heavy shadow and the the thick lines and everything else, yeah, I can I can see that fully. Yeah, and honestly, like I mean, I feel like everything sort of comes down to 
on some level, you know, an imitation of what has come before. And I feel like, you know, if you're going to, you, nobody pulls ideas out of it, out of, you know, the ether. But, um, and I feel like if there's someone to imitate, it's him. Like he's, he's, you know, defined horror comics in a way for sort of the last, however long, I, I'm so bad with numbers, however long he's been, you know, working on Hellboy and stuff. He's, he's really left such a mark that it would be impossible to work outside of that influence. But, um, yeah, I think also there's a lot of, honestly, a lot of it also comes from like looking at what at the sort of stuff that Time Bomb specifically was putting out and then thinking, you know, what would be a good sort of story? And, you know, you have ideas kicking around and then you sort of put them together into a package aimed for somewhere. And it worked in this case. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, what kind of pushed you towards Leningrad, like the Siege of Leningrad as a setting for this story? Like what was the... Where did that come from? Um, well, honestly, it was it sort of came out of wanting to do sort of a classic war story in the you know the vein of of the sort of the World War Two Nazi punching comics that are sort of you know remain popular because who doesn't want to punch a Nazi? But also like um, thinking about sort of in you know I, I get pretentious when I talk about this stuff, but. Um, Thinking about like, um, you know, you made it. You're allowed to get as pretentious as you want. So, well, get ready because I'm gonna. So, um, <laughs> thinking about like, you know, what this story is in a lot of ways, and I think this is sort of an over, in a lot of ways, like a lot of horror stories. All horror stories are about trauma in some ways, but I think when you're writing about war and you're writing a story about traumatized people, a good way of expressing that is to sort of have the setting itself look traumatized, and. To have a city that's like that, it's it sort of it's uncanny because, you know, a city is supposed to be somewhere people live rather than a war zone. And it's yeah, it's it just it seemed like an interesting sort of specific battleground, like a lot of war movies feel like they could be set anywhere. And I think rooting it more specifically is interesting. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Um, and so, I mean. Like, so inspiration for characters wise, when you were writing characters, um, this uh, this kind of like through line with um, women in active duty, especially in the Russian ranks. So you've got the the Night Witches, which were the um, the the aviator squadron, weren't they? The Night Bombers. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Badly equipped and everything else. And I was reading about them actually after reading this comic. So, oh, that's cool! I'm so glad that that, that like yeah. sort of brought you to read that. That's very that's very good. Yeah. So I read your comic, and then uh, before we did the last episode where we did the review, I was I went and did some reading about the Night Witches, um, and that's that's where I got all the information that I gave out in the last episode about them being poorly equipped and everything else. Oh, wonderful! Um, yeah, and um, it's like uh, I guess through the medium of comics as well, you're like raising the profile of these stories a little bit and getting them into the hands of people that wouldn't necessarily think about or know about this stuff. It's kind of like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's hidden history. I'd say it's buried history. I don't know if you agree. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that's true. Like, I think it's, it's stuff that you can find out about, but you know, it's, it's also stuff that has been, you know, you look at this and you, you look at something like that and it seems so like, so like perfect for adapting to a story. And, you know, I've, I've used it here, but in a lot of ways, like, I feel like, there's obviously more narrative stuff you could do though. Like you could have, you know, the Janet is an ex night witch. She's not like currently doing that. And you could tell stories about them actually doing that. And I, I chose not to because 
that would be a different story. But um, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, it feels like uh, you know, yeah. Sorry, I've lost my track a bit. COVID brain. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it it is um, you know, you're like pulling on threads of history and honestly raising the profile of stuff like that is always a cool thing. But also it does again sort of give you, you know, in a selfish way, it gives you the specificity that like means that things feel very grounded and sort of rooted in reality. And I think that um, you know, there's always it's one of these it's one of these things that I think fiction about war in particular tends to sort of gloss over is that there's always been, you know, women fighting and, you know, non-white people fighting in like Western armies and stuff, and it sort of gets glossed over because that's not the image we have sort of of a society of the army we expect. So looking for the places where those soldiers would be found is always interesting, I think. Yeah, you have like a homo- like a, a homogenous idea of each yeah, army. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, yeah, everything gets lost. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, another thing as well, because uh, my favourite character in this story is the um, the young sniper that joins them about halfway through. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I loved her. Yeah. It was great fun to write. You, Bob, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I was thinking, is she based on um, Ludmila Pavichenko? Yeah, she's definitely drawing from her. Yeah, like I was yeah. like, you know, I feel like this the Russian sniper lady is sort of like a stereotype we have. And I was like, oh, wow, they were actually, you know, this is actually a person. And like pulling on her again was sort of yeah. like a deliberate choice. You know, it's, I, I would feel more awkward about it if I named her after her, but making up a character based on her gives you yeah. more leeway to, you know, do stuff. So yeah, yeah. no, absolutely she was. Yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 I thought that was great. Um, And like, again, like there was, so many um that that's probably where the female sniper archetype comes from actually with russians and things yeah i think so i think so so many um female snipers in active duty during world war ii like when you read about it it's like there was um it was like a big thing in russia a lot of the marksmen they had were women yeah Um, yeah and especially in this sort of siege warfare because the men would have gone off to the front so that leaves the women behind to you know pick up a rifle and do the sniping yeah um, and uh, I just wanted to point out that Sabaton made a great song about the night, which is if you like a bit of heavy metal and you're interested. Yeah, I have heard that. I like it. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, um, if we, so stylistically, stylistically, and stylistic decisions, um, it kind of ended up taking on this kind of like uh, pulpy horror Hellboyish type look, which really works for the story and everything else. And um, yeah. Like I said, that was something that you and Mike came up with. Um, and then the colours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The colours the colors were like, um, so Danny and um, Danielle Vibe, who I um, who did the colours, I also worked with on a strip for Time Bomb's Brawler anthology. Um, Space Banshee Exorcist, she's the artist for that and she's great. And Steve approached her because the colours there were always so vibrant and she was he was like, you know, this would look really cool if she was if we like brought a sort of pulpy quality to it and like the specific thing he was pulling on was like propaganda posters and sort of the the bright sort of unrealistic heightened energy that they have and I think she did such a good job of like bringing that to life you know definitely especially with the um, the sci-fi bits so oh when we yeah, get, yeah 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 into the um into the the, the weirder imagery without spoiling it too much that's in this book. <laughs> Uh, when we get into like the kind of like the cosmic horror element and we get a taste of um, 
Mm. Some of the, it's uh, so unearthly the way that she uses yeah. colors. It's like it feels very out of place in the narrative, which you know it it, it should. So it really yeah. works from that angle, I think. Yeah, very nuclear looking. Um, mm-hmm. And on top of that as well, the way that Mike has rendered the um, the 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 actual uh, I, I don't know what to call it virus. Um, um, go for like alien stuff. I feel like stuff is a good cat call for the this stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, the alien yeah, stuff. stuff. Yeah, he's, the alien that, stuff. Yeah, it looks pretty cool how he's gone with like the the kind of like PC board look for it and everything. PC yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. One thing I really love about that is that like even like at the start when you sort of you see it and you don't really know what's happening, you see that and you think, oh, like subconsciously you're like, oh, this is some sort of technology. Because it, it feels out of place. And, you know, this one, it could be magic or whatever. And, you know, obviously the characters don't really understand it. But we see that and it looks like circuitry. And it sort of gives us sort of a clue to what's happening, which is really clever on Mike's part. Um, so, like, storytelling-wise again, um, you've gone for this really brutal setting, which is Leningrad during the siege, which was notoriously brutal. Yeah. Um, and then you've managed to work some hope into that as well which i really like because it's not all um i mentioned this when i said when i talked about the review but it's not all uh doom and gloom in the siege of leningrad with tundra and blizzards and whatever it's uh there's actually like some hope in there and there's a redemption arc which is really cool yeah yeah i mean i think that that's sort of you know it's 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 really easy to write things that are depressing a lot of the time like because you know look at the world and um being able to end things in a way which is you know even you know I I think especially when you're telling stories which are sort of like rooted in the idea of trauma the idea of being able to move on from that and sort of accept it and live with it is so I, I feel that like that's a very sort of potent place and I think that it it's a good it's a good sort of end point because it doesn't it doesn't mean that you know things are going to be okay or whatever you know it, it means that you're in a better place to make them more okay it's it's always about the balancing act especially when you are sort of yeah. you are writing a story which could be grim but yeah and it's it's um it's Lubov this sniper again who's so like super witty and pragmatic about everything and she's mm. the one that ends up being the guide through and kind of like guiding you through to the the kind of the, the light at the end of the blizzard kind of thing yeah, yeah, I think that, like, you know, that sort of personality, that pragmatism can be so useful when you are, like, you know, when you get in over your head about something, when you're sort of, like, caught up in the things you think you've done wrong, being able to be pragmatic about it can be really helpful. Yeah, um, and that's that's why she's, she's such a good character, and one of the other reasons I like her, actually, is because of how she is and how just matter-of-fact she is about a lot of things. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, it's it's refreshing to write a character like that who is just sort of yeah. like you know, this is sort of bullshit. You're sort of bullshit. We're gonna deal with this. You know, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's there's a lot of forward momentum there, which is really useful when you're writing. Yeah, it helps you keep it moving. Mm. Um, so what I wanted to talk about actually as well, there's a particular sequence in here that I really really like, um, and it's when um, there's a building full of enemies and. Mm. Uh, 
I remember I you talking about this on the other podcast yeah. episode where she comes out and it's sort of like there's snow and everything and you just yeah. don't really see her clearly. Yeah. You've got the mm-hmm. vertical, um, the stacked vertical uh, panels that kind of like... Yeah. And I just wanted to talk about the power of layouts and, and that layout particularly and how that gets across the scene with the uh, the figure stepping through the blizzard and then collapsing. Because mm. I really, I yeah. really, really like those pages. It, yeah, no, honestly, it was so nice hearing you talk about it because, like, it is, you know, it's absolutely one of those bits where, like, Mike's work really shines through. And I think, you know, Danny's work too also. It, it's very sort of, like, the, the use of colours there is sort of muted in a way that makes it very compelling. And I think it's it's one of those scenes where, like, you know, we didn't... It was definitely also a sort of storytelling choice to have this be a page. Like, in comics, you're always sort of looking for a way to cut things down and keep storytelling sort of, like, moving and going. And giving it the space to breathe there felt very important because, like, it was sort of about showing, you know... It, it, it's sort of... It's scary because we don't really know what state she's going to be in when she comes out of the snow. And also it's sort of... It's also sort of about, you know, showing that she is sort of weak in a lot of ways and still human and sort of she collapses you know it 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 combines a lot of stuff and really puts us in um in the sniper's shoes sort of watching her come out in this like you know we don't know what's going to come and she doesn't know what's going to come it's very um yeah i think mike did a great job yeah and um danielle's colors as well like you were saying the muted like like she really does manage to get in like complete snow blind with like mm. the greys and the whites, because it's like a blizzard at night type thing. And it really yeah, is yeah. like, yeah, mm. the, the feeling of mm. you are in there and trying to get through it. And it's, yeah, it's good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, so, it, it, that, that sequence, it's it, like, you look at it and it, on one level it's so simple and it would be easy to sort of skip past it if you're reading quickly. But it really is sort of like a sequence where, you know, they come together to sort of create this like very... um very sort of compelling storytelling moment and like you said sort of the 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 snowfall at night sense is very strong there um yeah and that's like the whole that that's like a creative team working together to to produce something like that which is like um it's really good to see how everyone's input kind of Mm -hmm. yeah i I quite like that when the whole when everything kind of molds together nicely and that's just one of those Mm -hmm. moments um Yeah. yeah um and yeah, so like did this so when when the the idea for this first started when you first had the, did it sort of evolve organically with back and forth with the rest of the creative team or did you have this whole thing planned out before you gave it to everyone else? Um well honestly, okay, so this is like a story of it's sort of basically what you should never do when you're pitching comics, but I went I am um, sort of cornered Steve at a con and was like, hey, I have this comic that I think would work well with your with your company. And he was like, okay, pitch it. And I pitched it. And he said, that does seem like something that we'd be interested in. So at that point, I like, you know, went away and redrafted the script. And then Steve actually set me up with Mike, which is incredible. Like comic publishers never ever do that. And it's really lucky that he took a chance on it because it, it's just it never happens. But Steve clearly saw that Mike's style would be sort of would make the story very compelling and I think he was correct there um Danny came on board later once the art had been complete which is interesting again because like you know she does do such a good job of like making the 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 com making the pages that Mike drew sort of come to life like that but I think the thing about it is that as with all creative processes there always is sort of going back and tinkering and one thing that that I sort of remember doing a lot of was removing 
was removing like explanatory captions because I felt like Mike and Danny's work was just doing such a good job of telling you what was happening anyway. So there's there's sequences in it where there is no expl there's no like caption telling you what's happening or what a character is thinking. But yeah. the images sort of bring that across anyway. And originally there would have been that, but you know, I got rid of it because it didn't feel necessary after I'd seen what a job what a good job they'd done. Yeah. Um <laughs> and I that's something actually like I was gonna because with um with lettering and everything else and with like when you look at some examples of comics from um especially like comics that are telling pulpier stories, like pulp comics from from way back. There is a lot of explanatory captions mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of um a lot of narration. Um which yeah, I can see um I mean this this doesn't need it. But like in mm. most pulp stories, that's a thing and that's a stylistic choice. But what what I'd like that is gone differently for this from the other from other pulp stories I've seen is is the lack of narration. And you've got like these little bits where there's um like during the the, the flashback sequences. Uh, which we ended up having a little bit of a, a, a conversation about on Twitter, actually, because you were saying that you, you liked that they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, I like I was saying when, well, like I put when I replied to you on Twitter, like I said there, because I was saying that um, dream sequ- the line between comics and dreams in a storytelling sense is very thin anyway, because the, the, the type of logic you can use and the way you can play with time and everything else it's very much, um, it's very malleable. Um, when you look at the amount of comics that are in that space anyway, that it, it's it's like comics and dreams are almost one and the same in the way that the storytelling logic and everything else is, like in the way a comic is, is presented. Um, so if you think about like the amount of comics that are, that are fully in that space anyway and are about dreams, like... Mm. Um, uh, the Little Nemo books and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Sandman comics do a very good and, job yeah. of yeah, because comics are sort of. I think one thing that comics have that other mediums just cannot do is sort of showing you a character's interpretation of what's going on in a way that doesn't need to be sort of that doesn't yeah. need to be stated. Like comics have this sort of space for, like you said, like a melding of reality and fantasy because yeah. you can very easily sort of cross into a character's headspace without stating that directly. Yeah. And um, that's what's these, these, that's what these do really well. These, these flashback scenes, because they do actually like the, the images that are there and what we see does actually give you an awful lot of information in a short space of time in, in the, in terms of how long the comic is. Um, and then we've got like these little bits of text, um, that are like, uh, kind of like disembodied voice that kind of just mm. come up every now and again, which is probably just snippets of conversation and snippets of like, um, you know, thoughts mm. and things like that, which it actually works really well. And you get like a full sense of, what happened without having to have the prequel. Yeah, um, yeah. I yeah. think that, like, yeah. you know, making it... I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's a version of the story that does sort of start back at the start of uh, the Janna's story, but, like, I think telling it like this sort of... this very, like, tight narrative with flashbacks throughout it works better. It makes it more immediate as well. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it kind of... It, 
it works very well for like the overall like and and for it to be um because it's only 94 pages long but it because of the amount of information that you get from each page um and the amount of story that you've managed to cram into those 94 pages it actually feels way longer um, oh thank you because when i was reading it um i was thinking that i was like how is this only? i I've, i thought it was well over 100 pages and then i looked oh only 94 okay um but it's i think it's just like the amount of like that that you guys as a creative team managed to squeeze into those 94 yeah, pages is really yeah. good and i think mm. those flashback scenes are part of that mm. because we get like an entire story arc of somebody's past mm. almost without having to like read a prequel book which is really cool yeah yeah um like yeah i think that you know that it's it, in a lot of ways it's it's easier and i think it reads better to just sort of give hints about something rather than painting you know you don't need to fill yeah. in all the gaps it's it leaves yeah. more room for someone to like connect to a character personally i think exactly yeah um do you know when you script uh comics for your artist and things like that do you so the page layouts and things like that how do you decide on how that's going to go is that something that is fully in the hands of uh was fully in the hands of mike or is that something that you kind of like um yeah. You, you, you it varies page by page it depends on like if I if I'm giving like a particularly complicated page layout and I'm like okay this is going to be a pain for someone to draw then I always feel inclined to sort of specify like you know you could do it this way maybe you could put these three panels in one row and then do the other two like maybe this one's bigger maybe this one's smaller but a lot of the time I just sort of I leave I, I try to leave this stuff as much as possible to the artist because I think that you know they're the ones who are good at this really and yeah they're always I mean if a lot of the time even if I specify something like that the artist will make a better choice and I'll be like oh wow yeah no you you didn't need my advice on that and it's so you know a lot of writing comics is sort of learning to trust other people with the stories that you're writing it's it's because they are you know they're here too and they're as invested in telling it well as you are and it, it's very difficult as any sort of creative person to be like you know I'll accept your criticism because I think you will do it better than, you know, I think you write yours better than mine, but it's sort of, it's a, it's a lesson that you need to learn, you know, in comics in general. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, I guess that goes for lettering as well, because although like when the art's there, it's like a letter will have to look for the negative space where they can put mm -hmm. words without it being intrusive. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because actually prior to we started recording, we were discussing actually that, lettering is something where the whole point is for it to not be that intrusive when you're mm. reading like you need you yeah. need it there to guide the reader but you don't need to it doesn't need to take you out of the story for you to be able to notice it it has to seamlessly blend in with everything else so yeah yeah it's it's so difficult for letterers to strike that balance I mean you know you know like you said we were talking about this before I yeah. tried lettering I suck at it so I can very much appreciate good lettering yeah, and I was gonna, I was gonna ask, is it a conscious decision that the rest of you guys, as a creative team, make in deciding negative space where a letterer can work, or is that something there where you, the 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 page is created and then it is handed to the letterer and then they make that decision? I mean, I think that you know, comic artists in general, and I, I think me and Mike have talked about this, like comic artists draw art knowing that part of it is going to be covered up by lettering, and like. I guess my part of that is trying to make sure things are said as concisely as possible. And one of the worst things you can do as a writer is giving someone, you know, 
a speech bubble that's got like 50 words in it you want to keep it like you know down to 25 and it's it's you know it, it's and then the artist will take that and will like look at try and work out where the space should be but in the end it tends to come down to the letterer because they're the ones doing that job and there's always back and forth in this stuff like it, it I feel like I've described the process in too linear a way but there is always you know discussion backwards and forwards and sort of yeah. feedback yeah. and if something isn't working someone else will call it out which is the other great part of comics everything's so collaborative but yeah um yeah I think that I think the a lot of it came down to Aaron, but like also, of course, you know, everybody feeds in on this stuff. And I think in the end, his he did such a good job of almost like the lettering he does. This someone else mentioned this. It almost feels sort of like the the sort of it feels reminiscent of like lettering from like an older pulpy story, but done in sort of a very clear way, which is cool. So it's it's it, he's done a really good job there as well, and it's. Like you said, you don't want to notice it, but it's worth noticing as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where it's like it shouldn't be too intrusive, but it should yeah. still guide you through the story and it works really well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is it all comes together really nicely to, to like in this really great cohesive book. Um, and. Like like we gave it a very positive review in the pre previous episode, so I can't recommend enough to any listeners to check it out because it is good it's totally worth it that's very kind of you and um yeah we're um it's great to have you on here to have this conversation so yeah um i guess i've run out of questions <laughs> well so, yeah. yeah thank you for having me on i think my voice is about to give out so i probably will head off yeah. now um yeah yeah Thanks thank to, you for having me on it's been really nice talking to you and thank you yeah, again it's, for it's been brilliant to have you thanks for joining us and uh yeah thanks for giving us an inside look at rotten under the snow uh, yeah no definitely and i'll yeah it was great yeah. being on and yeah no your reviews are always wonderful so thanks thank you very much thank you thank you so that was katie cunningham one part of a stellar creative team here to discuss rotten under the snow uh written by katie cunningham artist mike bogdanovich colors danielle vibe letters aaron rackley so yeah, um, that's Rotten Under the Snow. That is available via Time Bomb Comics now. You can go to timebombcomics.com forward slash shop and you will find it there along with a wide selection of other comics that they publish. So go check that out. I fully recommend it. 100% worth your time. That has been Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find us in the usual place, www.acecomicals.com, uh, the hub for everything that we do. Uh, we are most active on Twitter at East Comicals. Um, DM us, at us, talk to us about comics. That's why we started this podcast. That's what we want to do. Um, any uh, opinions or if you want to throw your two cents in about anything that we've talked about on the cast, uh, just let us know. Tell us what you've been reading. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U and same rules, same rules apply. Uh, I'm there to talk about comics. So yeah, um, that has been Ace Comicals. Ace Comicals, over and out. <laughs>